You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Well, good evening, afternoon, wherever we are. It's good to be with you today. Let me tell you the, um, the plan for tonight. We're going to do a standalone sermon through a, a scripture that I just feel like the Lord put on my heart uh, last week. And I'll tell you what's coming up the next couple of weeks. Next week, we're going to have uh, Ben Kant come and preach for us. Anybody know Ben Kant? A couple of people. All right. He's a, thank you. He's an excellent preacher, pastor down at New City. He's going to come and, and step in and preach on, on prayer, I believe it is. Um, it's going to be great to hear from him. So that'll be the 22nd. And then the 29th, the last Sunday of this month, you'll hear about this uh, in the announcements. We're going to do a church potluck. Anyone excited about that? I'm excited. Who doesn't love a good church potluck, right? So uh, January 29th, instead of doing a worship gathering, we're going to worship another way. We're going to gather as a community. We're going to share a meal. We'll hear some updates. We'll hear from some of our leaders and teams. And so I'd encourage you to sign up for that. You'll hear about that later again on Church Center, onehope.info. Uh, and then in February, we're going to kick off uh, a new series. Um, right now, God willing, the plan is uh, to be talking about the story of the church now and then, or then and now. Okay? So that's the plan. That's what we're looking at tonight. What I want to do... Um, is really uh, start tonight by uh, doing a little contrast and comparison. So I'm going to show you a picture here, and I'm going to ask you this question. Which of these guys is a picture of strength? Which of these guys is a picture of strength? Now, of course, this is uh, Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock there on the left, your left. Uh, pro wrestler, movie star, got a lot of money, wealth. He's kind of the image of success and strength in America, right? All of us men, we'd love to look like The Rock, but none of us quite do. <laughs> Except for David, where are you at? Oh, this is my, my little Dwayne Johnson over there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and then we got John Piper, faithful pastor for, for many years, decades, um, up in many, uh, Minneapolis. And so I could ask it this way, who do you want in a dark alley with you in the middle of the night? You might, might say The Rock, right? Okay. But who would you want in a spiritual battle? Who would you want to pray with you on your deathbed? Who would you want to minister to you as you're doubting in your faith? And here's the real question. What's really most important? And my point is this. Our world has a definition of strength and power. But it's not necessarily God's definition of strength and power. And I could ask you, what, what, how would you define success? And you might say, you have a lot of money or status or wealth or accolades or friends or followers or whatever that is, right? But then we looked at the, the Apostle Paul in Philippians, and if you remember in chapter 3, he says, man, I, I had everything. I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I was living it up. I had the reputation. I had money. I was excelling above everyone else. And then he says, but I counted all a loss for what? The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And so what I'm going to look at today is where do we find true strength? Where do we try and find true power? And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. It's a familiar section of scripture, verses 10 and uh, 9 and 10. And you probably know the verse, okay? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You say, that's a great coffee cup Mug, uh, mug verse, right? You stick it on your coffee mug, you see it, you feel good about it, right? But the question for us is today, how do you actually live that out? What does that actually look like for that to be true for you, not just something that you may aspire to or read on your cup or put on your wall? None of that stuff's bad. 
But what does that actually look like? And so that's a task for us today. How do you actually live that out, that that would be true for you? And here's what we're going to see, right? We all have weaknesses, but the call for us, if we embrace our weaknesses, rather than try to escape them, God's power and presence will be manifest through us, okay? In other words, it's precisely in our weaknesses that God's power is shown and the gospel goes forth. It is totally opposite of what our world teaches us, right? It's in our weaknesses that God's power is made perfect, all right? So we'll be in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. I invite you to go there in your Bibles or on your app or wherever that is and follow along. I want you to see it for yourself. We'll be jumping around a little bit in 2 Corinthians. Let me pray for us, and we'll get uh, going through this text. So, Father, I thank you that you have shown us true strength, and you have given us grace. And I pray today that we would open our hearts to receive from you grace, that we would embrace our weaknesses, our hardships, our troubles, Lord. And we would sense your power and your presence in our lives and that you might do great things if we surrender to you. As the Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and minister through the power of your word tonight. Would you be with us? We give you this time. We pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Let's look at uh, our verses, uh, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 12. Let me read them for you, and then we'll, we'll look at a couple things. But he said to me, this is God saying to Paul, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So let's do a little bit of work on this verse because words matter. And um, the, the, the wonderful thing about going to seminary for me is you get to learn Greek, and I love looking at the Greek. And, and if we just do a little bit of work on these words, because we can really pull out the richness of what Paul is saying here. So just starting with this word grace, he says, for my grace. Now, when we think of grace in the New Testament, it's used a couple different ways. We may think saved by grace, unmerited favor, right? Ephesians 2.10, we're saved by grace through faith. And that is true. That's what grace is. But there's another way that grace is used in the New Testament, and it is used in the sense of an empowering force, uh, an empowering uh, um, uh, um, force within you that, that's allowing you to minister, as in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, where Paul says, I worked harder than all those other apostles, yet yeah, not I, but what? The grace that was in me was at work. And it's the second sense that, that, Paul, uh, that uh, God is meaning in this, this empowering presence of God, this power and presence of God. He's saying, my grace, my presence is enough, is sufficient. That word sufficient means enough, as in you've had enough food, you've been satisfied. And he says, then my power, the word there is dunamis, from which we get dynamite, this power, my power is made perfect. That word actually means, it doesn't mean perfect, it means to be completed. So he's saying my power is made completed or fulfilled precisely in your weaknesses. My grace, my power and my presence will be enough. It'll be sufficient for you that my power will be completed in your weakness. And because this is true, because Paul believed this, this was his experience, that's why he says what he says next, right? In verse 10, he says, therefore, I'm sorry, the second part of verse 9, he says, therefore, and of course, you know, if you've heard this before, when you come to a therefore in scripture, you say, what's the therefore? Therefore, sorry. What's it there for? 
Well, everything I've just said, because that's true, because that's Paul's experience, I will boast all the more gladly in my uh, weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And the word for rest there, sorry, there's so many words in this, this passage. ESV is a great translation. The word for rest is actually the word for tabernacle. As in John 1.14, Jesus came and tabernacled amongst us, dwelt among us. The NESV translates this, I will uh, uh, boast in my weakness so that, so that Christ may dwell in me. That Christ may dwell in me. Again, that animating force, grace, his power and presence. And then he goes on, for the sake, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. A couple more here. The word content there actually means to think well of. Okay, as in Matthew 3.17, when God says to Jesus, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Same word. Paul is saying, because this is true and, and, and Christ's power is dwelling in me, I welcome whatever the world could bring me. And he lists five different categories. And he's basically saying, anything the world could give me, bring it on. Because I know God's power, and He's going to be glorified, and His power is going to be manifested, and the gospel is going to go forth. That's what Paul is saying here, okay? So let's just reflect for a moment, because we might ask the question, well, that's Paul. Paul was the apostle. That was for him. I could never do that. But that's not true. 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for reproof, teaching, and training that, that a man may be equipped for every good work, right? This is for us. See, the New Testament church, everyone gets the Holy Spirit. Not just the elite, not just the clergy. Everyone receives the Spirit, this empowering, empowering grace. And so the question then for us is, are we experiencing this? So let's just take a moment and reflect, okay? As I said, Paul lists out weaknesses, insults, persecutions, hardships, calamities. So just take a moment and reflect, what is that for you right now? Weaknesses, what limitations are you facing? Maybe that's physical, maybe it's mental. What insults or injuries are you facing right now? What hardships have come upon you right now? What persecutions might you be facing? And what calamities? What tragedies? I'm willing to bet many of us have something that we could throw in one of those categories because we live in a broken and a fallen world. And so then the question is, whatever that is for you, the question is, well, is God's power flowing through your weaknesses? Is God's power being perfected in these things, precisely in these struggles? And if the answer is no, that's okay, because the third question is, well, then how do we get there? How can we get there? How can we live the way that Paul lived? And so what we're going to do is answer the question, well, how did Paul get there? And here's what we find, right? We all want Pauline faith but we don't want Pauline pain. And the only way you get Pauline faith is to go through Pauline pain, right? And so we've got to walk through this stuff and we've got to invite the Lord into our situation and experience his grace with us. And so let's look at how Paul got there. And to do that, I want to look at the context of 2 Corinthians 12. 
which is, uh, which is 2 Corinthians 10 to 13. It's kind of the last section of this whole book. And what Paul's doing in this last section is he's defending his apostolic ministry and authority over against the so-called super apostles, okay? But what he's actually doing is defending the gospel because Paul doesn't really care about his reputation all that much. What he cares about is the true gospel, the true Jesus, and the true spirit. And here's what he says about these super apostles. First off, he says that they are false apostles, that they are workers of the enemy. He says that these guys come and they proclaim a different Jesus. They receive a different spirit. They preach a different gospel. And they're, basically, they're doing it in the ways of the world. See, Corinth in that time was this metropolitan port city. It was wealthy. There was a lot of people coming in and out. There was a lot of influence. It was a pluralistic society, not too uh, unlike our experience here in America, right? And so what was happening in that day, these uh, traveling orators would go from place to place and they'd give eloquent speeches. If we read, I think it's Acts chapter uh, 17, right? Where Paul goes to the Areopagus there in Greece and everyone's just babbling, talking about what's the greatest new thing? What's the greatest new thought? The greatest technology? Let's hear about that. And they spend all their time just thinking about the next new thing and giving good speeches. And these guys would go around and they would charge money and make a living for giving good speeches. And what had happened is these guys had infiltrated the church And they're preaching a false Jesus and a false gospel and exploiting the church. And Paul says, I I will not stand for that. And so he's writing this letter to correct, to instruct the church and rebuke these false apostles, these false teachers. And of course, we have this in our own day. We have preachers and we have our society that will preach a different Jesus, right? We'll preach a Jesus that is only about love. That Jesus doesn't care about sin. That Jesus doesn't care about how you live your life. That is not the Jesus of Scripture. Like Jesus cares so much about sin that he went to the cross for it. Okay, before there was good news, there was bad news. And the bad news was we were all sinners. And we created this mess that we live in. That's brokenness and fallenness. And Jesus comes to, to pay the price for that. And he reconciles us back to God. And he creates a new way to live. And he calls us to follow him and become like him. We call that discipleship. So Jesus is love. God demonstrates his love by sending Jesus to die for our sins. Okay? And I don't know if you've read the end of the book, the the book of Revelation, but Jesus comes and does some pretty gnarly things, right? He comes to deal with sin. So even in our day, there's false Jesuses. There's false gospels, right? This prosperity gospel that you should just expect to have health, wealth, and success. God wants to bless you. That's a false gospel. Of course, God does want to bless you. And one day we will be extremely wealthy and successful when we we live in the new age and the new heavens and the new earth. So it's not a question of if, but when. See, Paul is so concerned with the true gospel that he's going to tell them, let me tell you the the marks of a true apostle. Let Let me show you the way of true strength. And so 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, he's uh, he's inter- interacting with these super apostles, and here's what he has to say by comparison. He says, "Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman." See, Paul really doesn't want to engage in this kind of back and forth, but he's, he wants to make a point because the gospel's at stake. Okay, I am I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. 
Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of, uh, on me of my anxiety of all the churches. Paul says, this is the mark of a true apostle. You walk the path Jesus walked. You see, the gospel is one of dying and rising. Dying and rising. Dying and rising. And Paul says, if you want to live a godly life, if you want to follow Jesus, you will be persecuted. And so following Jesus in a fallen world means we're going to go through hardships, calamities, struggles, insults, injuries. This was Paul's experience. But this is the Paul that says, I learned that your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. Your, your presence and your power is what got me through this. So this is the true gospel. So that brings us then to 2 Corinthians 12. So here he's, he's, again, he's standing up against the powers in that day, the super apostles, you know, think about Dwayne Johnson, kind of this big image of success. And he's saying, no, this, that's not true success. That's not true strength. But then he goes on here, 2 Corinthians 12. Now we begin to answer, well, how did Paul get there? How do you go through all this stuff and how do you get to where he's able to say those words? Look at verses one to four. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man who in Christ 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, Paul's talking about himself, which we'll see in a moment as he shifts to the first person. He so wants to not make this about him or about these revelations that he has. But he's making a point here. Now, think about what he's saying. Paul visited heaven. Paul visited paradise. Probably on one of these times he was stoned or beaten or thrown off a cliff or whatever it is. He had this near-death experience, right? And there's a lot of those stories going around in our, in our day, near-death experiences. And I really don't know what to make of a lot of them. But there was a book that came out a couple, a couple years ago called Imagine Heaven by John Burke. And he goes and he basically documents all these near-death experiences over the last 40 years. And he tries to pull out the ones that are um, legitimate and all that stuff. And I, and I read through the book, and I don't really know what to make of all of them. But I will tell you, hearing these experiences helped me imagine heaven. And think about the reality of the new heavens and the new earth. Think about the reality that what's waiting us all if we believed in Jesus. As you think about all the best things that you have here, the best sunsets, the best uh, uh, experiences with your friends, the best food, the best wine, the best scenery. All that's going to be in heaven times 10,000. So as Paul's going through these sufferings, I'm willing to bet what he experienced in heaven helped him along the way because he knew where it was going, right? He kept his eye on the prize, heaven itself, the very presence of Christ. 
Notice it says 14 years ago. He says 14 years ago this happened. Now we think 2 Corinthians was written probably about 55 AD. So that means Paul had this experience about 41 AD, somewhere in there, less than a decade after his conversion. And I'm willing to bet that experience carried him along the way of all of his sufferings and persecutions because he knew the end game. And that's true for us too. So how do, we, how do we get to this point of embracing God's presence and power in our life? Well, we, we got to think, we got to keep our eyes fixed on this prize, the heavenly prize, what awaits us all. And back in May of 2021, I picked up this book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. It's a nice 500-page book on heaven. And I read it. Well, I didn't read the whole thing, but I read some of it. And uh, it, as I was reading it, I would tell you, I mean, he's just arguing from the Bible. Something changed in me. I mean, I had a change in my life. As I, as I began to get this picture of the reality of heaven, as I was just saying, and it just put things in the focus for me. It allowed me to turn down the things in my life that I think are so important and have that eternal perspective that it really does matter what we think about Jesus. It's going to matter for eternity. And there's this line in this book that's always stuck with me, and I think I've shared it here before. But he says this, if you've believed in Jesus, this life is as close to hell as you'll ever get. But if you don't know Jesus, this life is as close to heaven as you will ever get. And that really put things into perspective, right? It really changes, like, what's important for you? What are you going to live your life for? It really matters what you think about Jesus. And so my point is this. Paul had this experience, and it affected him. And, and we can think about heaven, and we ought to think about heaven as well. You read the book of Revelation, you read the book of uh, um, the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah and other places that talk about this glorious future that awaits us. And it helps us to, to live. It helps us to put perspective. So that was the first thing. Keep our eye on the prize, this heavenly reward. But then Paul goes on. He says, on behalf of this man, uh, verse 5, uh, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weaknesses. Again, he, he just wants to stay humble. Though I wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees or hears uh, from me. You think, Paul, you're just processing out loud as you're writing this letter, right? Just, can you just give us something succinct here? All right, verse 7. Here's his point, though. So, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Now, think about this. This is actually God's grace to him, this thorn in the flesh. Why? Because the reason was to keep him from being conceited. Keep them from pride. What was the problem with these super apostles? They were swelling with pride, right? They had the American spirit. You can do it. Just try hard enough. Make it all about you. There's nothing more deadly to your spiritual life. And God so loved Paul that he allowed this thorn in the flesh to be there to keep him from becoming so self-absorbed in these surpassing revelations or in the success that he had in ministry, or whatever it is that may drive us away from dependence on God. So you think about that. What is those things in your life, the hardship? What is your thorn in the flesh? And might that be God's grace to you to keep you dependent on him? And so what does Paul do with this thorn in the flesh, this 
messenger of Satan. Look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul's pleading with the Lord. You know what we call that? We call that prayer. Paul is saying, God, I don't like this. I hate this. This is terrible. I don't want to go on. I don't want to continue. Would you just please just take it away from me? What is that for you? They have cried out to the Lord. So he's being very honest with God. And that's what God wants. That's intimacy with him. So God, I don't want this. Would you take it away? That's prayer. But notice what also he's doing. He's saying, wait a second. This is a messenger of Satan. This is the enemy. See, he realizes he's in a spiritual war. And so he's battling in prayer. Now, again, we don't know what this thorn was. There's all kinds of theories about what it was. You could read all kinds of books. and It could be a physical thing. could be his eyesight. It could be a psychological thing. We don't know because that's not the point. The point isn't the thorn. But we do know there is a messenger of Satan. And I take that to mean this is where the real battle is. Whatever that thorn is, whatever that hardship is, what does the enemy do? He starts pelting you with lies, saying this is your fault. You're probably not even a believer. God doesn't love you. God is not good. See, that's the battle. Whatever your hardship is, whatever your weaknesses, your limitations are, that's not the real battle. The real battle is a spiritual battle, and it's a battle against the enemy. That's why in Ephesians 6, when we look at spiritual warfare and the armor of God, there's two offensive weapons. You know what they are? Number one is the sword, the word of God. That's how we know the truth. That's how we know that's not God's voice. That's not what God would say to me. But the second is prayer. Do you know that? The sword of the Spirit, the word of the God, and praying in the Spirit. That's what Paul's doing. This is how we battle. We got to battle in prayer. This is how we get to the point of God's power perfect, being perfected in our weakness. We're having that conversation with him, saying, God, I don't want this. Well, what does the Lord say? See, the Lord answers him. You know, and it just brings us back to our verses here. My grace, he says, no, I'm not taking it away. There's something greater than freedom from pain, and it's freedom in pain. I will be with you. I am with you. My grace will be enough for you. So that's the third thing we have to do is we have to receive it. We have to receive God's grace, His power, and His presence in our lives. And what that means is we have to surrender our control, our power, our understanding, how we think it should go. And we say, Lord, whatever you would have for me. God, I want your power to flow through my weaknesses. That you might be glorified. That the gospel might go forth. And here's a beautiful thing about the gospel, right? This is exactly what Jesus did. Just a chapter later in verse 4 of chapter 13, Paul says that Christ himself was crucified in weakness. And he lives by the power of God. And he's telling the Corinthians, this is true of you too. In fact, he goes on just a couple verses later, says, examine yourself, test yourself that Christ is in you because this is the most important thing. My grace is sufficient. My power and my presence with you in your struggles. And so Christ meets us where we're at. And so this is how Paul learned humility. He had to go through the pain, right? And you and I, we have to go through it. We can't escape it. We got to embrace it. But we got to remember where it's all going. we got to keep the prize in our minds, in our eyes, right? 
We got to battle in prayer. We got to recognize that we're in a battle. And we got to talk to the Lord. And then we got to receive his power and his presence. We got to receive his answer. And so to come back to you, how about you? Whatever that is for you right now, weaknesses, limitations, hardships, calamities, tragedies, disease. Have you talked to the Lord about it? Will you embrace it as your story right now? Will you embrace it? Will you fight as Paul did? Remember where it's going. Battle in prayer and receive God's power and presence in your life. And so often I found that the way God ministers to us is through other people. It's through the church, right? That's part of the beauty of the church. If we follow Jesus, we all get the Holy Spirit. And God loves to speak through brothers and sisters to each other in times of need. It's why it's so important to be in community with one another. And if you read the beginning of 2 Corinthians, there's this whole section about uh, how Paul was afflicted and he's comforted by God. And then the comfort he gets from God, he comforts others with. And there's a lot, this word just keeps showing up, right? And then you read a couple of chapters later, he uses the same word. He said, I was comforted when Titus or Timothy, whoever it is, came to me. See, this is how God often will comfort us. It's through the church. It's through one another. So we got to be bold to be praying together and sharing with one another encouraging words, words of Scripture, whatever the Lord brings to mind, right? So what I want to do now, I want to close with this story because I found one of the greatest ways to, to grow in this kind of living is to read about those who have gone before you. Reading the, the lives of, of Christian saints from the past who have uh, finished well, so to speak, who have suffered well. And as you read about their lives, as I've read about their lives, it's encouraged me and it showed me, oh, that's what this looks like. And so I'd encourage you to, to read about Christian saints of the past and how their walk with God was. So I want to share with you a story. I want to show you one more picture here. And this gal's name is Johnny Erickson Tata. So I don't know if you know who this is, but she's got an incredible story. And so let me tell you her story. Johnny became a quadriplegic after a diving accident when she was 17 years old. This vibrant, effervescent teenager was one of the most popular and athletic kids in school, but she was suddenly locked motionless in a medical frame for months on end. She recounts that the doctor said to her, Johnny, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life without the use of your hands and legs. The first two years after her accident were brutal. At first, Johnny held on to the hope that by sheer willpower, she could regain the use of her arms and legs and eventually get married to her boyfriend. But then reality set in and she, uh, that she would not get better. She slipped into a deep depression, even begging her best friend to help her commit suicide. She refused the story that God had permitted in her life. She wanted her old life back, serving as captain of the lacrosse team and riding her horse tumbleweed in shows. And she finally got so desperate, she records this. And I said, God, I can't live like this. I won't live like this. Because I couldn't hold razors or push pills down my throat, I knew I couldn't end my life physically, so I was tempted to end my life emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. I wanted to just lay in bed, tell my mother to turn off the lights and shut the door. And finally... In the dark, behind that closed door, I cried out, listen to this, God, if I can't die, then show me how to live. God, if I can't die, then show me how to live. 
Thankfully, God put Christian friends in my life who opened the Bible and showed me that God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. He permits awful things like paralysis to bring forth Christ in me, the hope of glory. My Christian friends helped me find purpose in that, and I learned to give thanks even in the little things. And with each bit of obedience, my faith grew, my perspective widened, and the world got bigger. And eventually, I wheeled out of that dark bedroom and I began to embrace life. I discovered there's a world of other disabled people in dark bedrooms who, like me, needed to embrace life and know God. I started writing about this and speaking, and before I knew it, my message gave birth to a ministry called Johnny and Friends, and it would grow to have a worldwide impact. And I was looking on their website and said, for over the last 40 years, this ministry has served hundreds of thousands of families with people affected by disabilities, by meeting needs, delivering wheelchairs and other equipment, serving special needs families, and sharing the gospel, and handing out over 100,000 Bibles. In 2017, Johnny celebrated her 50th year in a wheelchair, which makes her one of the longest living paraplegics in the world. The last few years had been particularly painful for her as she lived with a misplaced hip and scoliosis. Johnny wrote this at her 50th anniversary. Suffering keeps knocking me off my pedestal of pride. My displaced hip and scoliosis are sheepdogs that constantly snap at my heels, driving me down the road to Calvary where I die to the sins that Jesus died for. Sure, I have a long way to go before I am, able, uh, before I am whom God destined me to be in glory, but thankfully my paralysis keeps me pushing to, quote, strive to reach for that heavenly prize, Philippians 3.14. And so here's just one story among thousands of someone who embraced their weakness, embraced their limitations, embraced their hardship, and God's power and presence was manifested through her. And hundreds of thousands of people were ministered to. And the gospel went forth. And so we read stories like this to be encouraged, to be inspired. And my call for you is imagine if you and I were to live like this. Imagine if our churches were to live like this. God could do amazing things. And so I'll close with this call. Will you embrace your weaknesses, your limitations, your hardships, that God's power might be manifested in your life? and that the gospel might go forward. Would you stand as I pray for us and invite the worship team up here? Father, we thank you for the ministry of Paul. We thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you that it's precisely in our weaknesses that your power is manifest. And I pray right now over this church that we would take a moment and reflect that we would embrace whatever that is for us, whatever hardships we're facing, whatever calamities, tragedies, diseases, whatever we can't bear on our own. God, would you give us the strength, the ability, the humility to receive your grace, your power, your presence. So Holy Spirit, would you come now and be amongst us and minister to us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. We pray this in your name and by your spirit. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.